welcome to another edition of Trivial Matters with Dan and Zach. I am Zach Marlin. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, and I am here, joined, as always, by the titular Dan, Dan Roselle. How are you? I've, I've never been called titular before, so it feels good. <laughs> it feels good to have that change this early on a Saturday. We record on Saturdays for some inside baseball for you, for you guys. Um, we do. But... I'm very excited for this episode. <laughs> me too. Me too. We are going to talk about the very popular and very good Netflix miniseries, The Queen's Gambit, starring Anya Taylor-Joy as Beth Harmon, a chess prodigy in the 1950s and 60s in Kentucky and throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the series was written and mostly directed by Scott Frank, who is also well-known for writing mostly screenplays uh, for things like Out of Sight and Logan and also creating the series Godless on Netflix. Um, So he's been around Netflix for a while. He's been around TV and film for a while. And um, this is just a a greatly satisfying series, in my opinion. But, uh, Dan, what stuck out uh, to you most about The Queen's Gambit? Well, before that, I just want to point out that this is based on a book, uh, Walter Tevis's 1983 novel of the same name obviously and uh if that doesn't let you know we have some information open i don't know what will but um that all being said what stuck out to me is i think something that you wouldn't necessarily expect me to highlight as my highlight but to me it was really like the outfits like the costumes on the show were all incredible uh anya taylor joy looked amazing in every scene there was like not a moment where, where she wasn't glamorous which was like so interesting and the use of color in the series was surprising especially because chess in its nature is a black and white game like that's what it is <laughs> sorry the pieces have been this way for a long long time and they're not changing anytime soon if you modify them you're just modifying the old formula but th- despite that fact surrounding that almost contrasting with that is the bright and vibrant color palette of the show there's it's like in certain areas it matches her mood it depends on which country she goes to they do uh that setting really well so i really really like the costumes i I don't know why but they just really stuck out to me yeah that was one of the things i actually wanted to talk about was sort of the fashion and style of chess that they use uh in the series because i think it's really interesting and and one of the things that almost stuck out to me was there were actually and there's no similarity between the production staffs of these but like the style and the fashion almost reminded me of Killing Eve in a lot of ways, where they use like these big bold titles of where the cities are that they're going to, and you know, there's there's very much a fashion component to Beth, um, who is you know, as you said, Anya Taylor Joy looks pretty great in every scene except for when she's supposed to be 13 years old, in which case I would say she doesn't quite pull it off, but it's close. <laughs> um, yeah, but, uh, well, twenty-four year yeah, old the, playing thirteen. Yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, the, it it doesn't quite work, but that's okay. <laughs> but it sort of reminds me of like what shows like Mad Men sort of did a couple of years ago when they sort of brought out like the colorful, very uh, Technicolor sort of um, color choices uh, that defined the 60s especially Mm -hmm. and they sort of made those things look cool and sleek and retro again and this show sort of goes for that same type of aesthetic it sort of puts you in like 
the middle of like a how a suburban house in Kentucky in the 1960s with all of its flourishes, but then it gives you like an update to what the furniture looks like and what the style looks like, and it does a really interesting job of I think sort of melding what we consider sort of to be modern uh, modern fashion styles with like very 60s fashion styles and marries it together in an interesting way. Again, all sort of layering on top of. Uh, what chess is mm-hmm. and making interesting choices with just how to portray chess on the show. And we talked about One this last the... week, you know? Yeah. Like we, yeah, we talked about it a little bit. We were saving it for this mm-hmm. week, but, um, one of the things that I think is really interesting about the show is that it often portrays, um, Beth, the main character sort of going through chess moves in her head, but looking at an imaginary chess board on the ceiling and that's just a really interesting stylistic choice that allows you to follow exactly what the character is thinking, um, but also gives you an insight into the way that she plays chess and what her mindset is and deepens the character while making a really interesting visual choice, mm-hmm. which is something that a lot of TV shows have trouble with. So for all of those reasons, I agree. I thought the fashion, the style, the choices that were made about the aesthetic of the show were one of the things that really propped it up it's like one of the most beautiful looking shows i've watched in a long time uh, yeah it was like i don't know if you've never watched people play chess before in its essence it's a very long and very drawn out and dramatic kind of affair right and it's not something that like it's not something that you'd think of as like needing this level of glamour but the contrast works so well and it made her stick out so much not only as a like character to us but a character in the universe of the show itself like she upended the entire like what chess and what people who played chess as at the grandmaster level are supposed to look like and what they're supposed to be and i think that was really cool i agree yeah and i think that that's one of the things that the the show is really going for is to show that you know she doesn't look like anyone who plays chess she doesn't even really play it in the same style she like sort of frustrates all of her friends and tutors who play against her because she sort of has just this intuitive style of playing that makes her so dangerous. She isn't thinking about what people had previously done. She learns from it and then uses it to inform her own decisions, which is really interesting. Whereas you see, but I also think that, uh, and this will be, I think we'll put a spoiler tag on from here on out, just in case we want to discuss sort of specifics of the show. If you haven't watched the Queen's Gambit, you might want to watch it before listening to the rest of this. Uh, Because we're really excited to talk about it. Um, So spoilers from here on. But um, one of the things that's really interesting about it was that she takes is is the show talks about sort of the American version and the American attitude toward chess versus the Russian attitude of chess. And that the Russians are always sort of willing to help each other and build each other up and help each other study their game so that they can be successful. Whereas Americans feel very individualized about the way that they play chess. They have very specific, you know, they they feel sort of segmented from each other in the way that they study. And the show sort of breaks down that barrier barrier for Beth as she goes along. Somebody who has been alone for so much of her life, uh, who realizes that she can rely on this team of other people at the end to help her overcome Borgoff, who is her biggest rival. Mm -hmm. And that, like, I can speak to that a little bit as someone who uh, grew up attending chess classes and like chess school where they give you problems to solve and culturally like i don't think anyone will ever say that it's like an official national sport of 
Russia or, you know, in this case, the Soviet Union. But it may as well be because this chess championship that they were playing, um, famously, the Moscow Invitational, like they broadcast this stuff on TV. These people are celebrities there. They absolutely are worshipped. They're they're so, so famous. And they, they just like there's such a following to it because I think there's a lot of pride in being an intellectual in this way. I think there's a lot of pride in uh, being able to maintain your composure, but yeah, working together is a hallmark of it. Like that's why people try to teach their children to play chess as soon as they possibly can. And everyone learns from each other. There's no, you know, a lot of games that you'll play end up being the same because there's only so many ways to move the pieces, but there's so many possible combinations of how a game can go that each experience playing chess could be so varied and so dramatic. And that's what I really like about the portrayal of that, at least in terms of the cultural differences, they really only highlighted that um, towards the end of the series. But uh, I want to make a footnote here. My mom was very concerned that I point out certain inaccuracies uh, of the depiction of the oh, Soviet please. Union. And my mom, uh, if, if fans of the show, fan of the show, remembers uh, her from the Chernobyl episode and her experience there, uh, she made sure to tell me to tell you that stewardesses uh, on planes were never a thing going to Russia. Uh, so <laughs> okay. she was a little upset about that. And then when Beth is at the hotel playing uh, chess, there's a waiter that comes along. But child labor was illegal in the Soviet Union, so you would never have uh, anyone, any minor serving vodka uh, at a hotel. And she was very adamant about this. She was she was quite upset when she saw that. And I don't really know why, but th- <laughs> it's my job to relay the information. <laughs> Look, we are we are here for all aspects of the series, inaccuracies included. So yeah. we we have to speak to them. Um, it doesn't lessen the fact that we both really enjoyed the show, but it. Makes it a little less factual, but that's okay. (laughs) Dramatic license, right? Yeah, it's fine. Like, she learned chess in a basement with a janitor at an orphanage. Yeah. In the real world, it's very unlikely that a chess grandmaster would have that kind of origin. But she seems to be savant level. She seems to, like, just have some sort of visual tool to help her analyze all the possible moves. But again, like... You can see in the process of the show, chess doesn't require just the analytical brain. It requires studying past patterns. It requires studying um, the player as much as the game itself, which is, which is I think, really cool in uh, capturing the drama of what chess actually is. Like, if you walk into a tournament, as I did many a time when I was a kid, uh, and you see someone that you're intimidated by sitting across from you, you're going to play differently than if you see someone that's like, for example, smaller than you or someone who, you know, you're looking at the record and you're going in with like three wins and no losses and they have their own three, you're definitely relaxing your shoulders a bit. You're taking more risks during the game. So I think that psychological aspect of chess was captured beautifully in this. Yeah, that's great insight because I have never been to a chess tournament before Mm -hmm. and I mostly just play chess, have grown up playing chess against either my siblings or my parents. So computers. um, (laughs) competitive chess is not really something that I'm super aware of. So that's great insight. Um, And I also think that one of the things that I found really interesting is in the reaction to this show is there were a lot of people who I've spoken to who have been like, oh, like, I I can't believe I never knew this story before. Like, it's like who, like this girl, like you think I would have heard of her before. And it's like, oh, well, like it's fictional. But (laughs) the story has such power to it 
and is so fascinating and feels so rooted in the time period in which it's set. And the chess also feels so real, something that I did like a little bit of research on that they like actually every game that is played on screen is an actual chess match. They actually play it out to completion within the filming, um, which is a huge pet peeve of mine when I see theater or film or something and something feels unbelievable. It doesn't feel real. Uh, for chess, I might not have caught it, but I'm so glad that they took the time to actually play out all of those games. And I believe Gary Kasparov, yeah. who is one of the top chess masters, their grand masters of chess in the world, was actually a consultant on this. He's like no longer the top near the top of the world because he pivoted his career to Russian politics, basically to try mm-hmm. and uh, fail to oppose Putin. Uh, but okay. he and chess coach uh, Bruce Pandolfini, who is also like very known in the chess community, they were consultants for the show, and no one knows the drama of chess better than Gary Kasparov. Like he is, he when I was growing up, he was the champion. Like he he's someone who, if you've played chess at any sort of competitive level, you absolutely know who this guy is. And so him being a consultant is the reason that uh, you saw what you saw. And if you look at the boards, like there are some moments where you're like, okay, this is a weird move, but I understand it from like the dramatic high point perspective. Um, some of the some of the strategies were like, you know, this no one would allow this to happen, so on and so forth. But at the, towards the end of the series, as her game got more sophisticated, so did the games that we were seeing. Um, it was very much reflected in the complexity and reflected in like, the board positioning and the cool thing for anyone watching the show is that you can recreate those boards like on your own. I think that's really, really fascinating that you can take those positions and kind of play them out for yourself as well. Yeah. I think that that's amazing that they went into that level of detail and they should have, you know, like it would have been lazy if they hadn't to like get all this money for a Netflix series and then not put all the effort (laughs) into it. Um, especially given the high, high, high production value of this, which is something I want to go into a little, a little more of is the series itself beyond the chess. Um, but I think that the chess is where it sort of starts and ends. Like if the chess is bad in the, in the series, then you can't believe that she is as good as she says she is. Um, and so they really got that right. And that really made it interesting to watch from, uh, probably from your perspective of somebody who used to play chess and who used to analyze board moves and stuff like that. And for me, who just enjoyed sort of the, the baseline entertainment of watching a sport on a, in a series that I hadn't really ever seen dramatized successfully before. Mm-hmm. There's actually sort of a running, I don't know if it's a joke or not, but there's a musical from the 80s that was written by the guys from ABBA called Chess. Mm-hmm. And it's about like an American Bobby Fischer type versus like a Russian... Oh, who's the the name of the guy that uh, Fisher always faced off against? Oh, uh, Boris something. Spassky. Spassky. Mm-hmm. So there's like a Bobby Fisher type and a Spassky type, and they're both in love with the same woman, and it like has never really been figured out. So like when I think of chess, I think of failed musical theater. Uh, Bobby Fisher, <laughs> um, one of the most famous anti-Semites in history. Yeah, self-hating Jew. Yeah. Really, really exciting mm-hmm. to mention him on our podcast. Yeah, well, he um, was good at chess. <laughs> he was very good at chess. He was a very complicated yes. man. Yes. Um, <laughs> Moving on from Bobby Fischer, though. So it it was interesting to see um, how well they portrayed chess. Uh, and I think when we when we're talking about sort of sports portrayed on television, I think this is probably the shining example from this year, even more so than Ted Lasso, which we sung its praises last week. Yeah, because I think there's drama to any sport based on the flow of the game. But chess in its very nature is such like a buildup of a sport that 
it lets that tension build a lot more. Like you, these people are looking 15 to 20 moves ahead and are imagining every possibility in this game. Like they've, they're so researched, they're so rehearsed, they're so studied that like, if anything that they don't expect happens, suddenly it's like a huge deal, which is, yeah, I guess you can say it's true of any sport, but at a certain point, like, you know, if a team's winning 10, nothing in a soccer game, there's not going to be a comeback there. Whereas in chess, like, if you screw up once, it could undo your entire game in a heartbeat. Yeah, and also, like, one thing that I thought was really well done was sort of the explanation of, like, tournament chess Mm -hmm. throughout the series. Like, I don't know anything about tournament chess. I've never been to a chess tournament in my life. But I thought, you know, I always had seen the clocks, but I didn't really know what the clocks were for. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew that they kept a certain tab on somebody, but I didn't know that there were a certain amount of moves that you could make, some things like that. So that you have to make a certain number of moves within the time period. Right. And so there's like a dispensation of information that that needs to happen to casual chess players like me in order to get them to understand this entire world that Beth lives in. Um, which smartly comes from the fact that she is unaware of those things when she first enters tournaments. So I think that like sort of the portrayal of information of how chess works is really well documented throughout the series as to getting more complicated as it gets more complicated for Beth. So we are learning as the audience along with her, which I think is really exciting because sometimes it can be really frustrating when the people on the show know more than you do rather than trying to sort of take each step along with the people who you're following. And this show does a really nice job of even though Beth is a chess like prodigy and she's sort of a genius at it, we still feel like we're we're taking these steps along with her even if she is much more com- even if she has a much more complex understanding than we do. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was really effective. Yeah, I thought that was really cool and they made clear to show what a chasm there was between her and all of her opponents. Like, these weren't just wins that she, like, fought hard for. This is, like, systematic dismantlings of all of her opponents throughout the course of the show. I thought that was very uh, impressive to show, and I thought it was, um, it it really captured the feeling, like, (laughs) it's the worst feeling, the feeling of dejection. If you just get repeatedly thrashed by somebody that you know you're worse than, that they just, they're like, yup. This is what it feels like. Like you just feel so helpless yeah. and you just feel like you're on the back foot the entire game. And it's like, oh man, like I just got ruined in that game. Like they just <laughs> read me like a book and it's just so bad. And so you feel like a turtle on its back in the sun. You're like, oh my God, what happened? <laughs> Where are all my pieces? And they they did a really good job of capturing that feeling both from her perspective winning and when she first plays Borgov and he does that to yeah. her, she realizes that there's just such a level of like complexity to this game and one that only the masters have unlocked. And what I really like is that uh, a consequence of this is that it's getting a lot more people interested in chess. Uh, yeah. Streamers on Twitch, streamers on YouTube have really dove into like the chess community and they're talking to grandmasters as coaches now Um not because of the Queen's Gambit, this was already kind of on the rise before the show came out, but it's going to have a boom now because people want to watch and learn more about this to appreciate it more because of what they saw the potential could be in this show, which I really like. 
Yeah, I've actually gotten several Snapchats, shout out to my cousin Jason, from, you know, got one that said, watches the first episode of The Queen's Gambit, and then there was a chessboard mm-hmm. <laughs> ready to go, ready to play. And I've seen him, he sent me playing chess a couple of times now. So, like, it seems like people are, Dan is holding up a chessboard, a, a magnetic board. chessboard, <laughs> on our Skype, um, because we don't have a visual element to the show. But, um, uh, yeah, I was... Uh, I I sort of had the itch to play chess again after watching this show and just be like, oh, like maybe I can get better at it, even though I am pretty bad at chess. Um, I think that that's a really great overview of the way uh, that chess is used in the show to sort of uh, show character development, to show the style. Uh, so I want to move on to a different point now, which is um, – there are this is a, a really talented cast full of people. It's a really deep cast full of people. So uh, give me some of your uh, performance MVPs here. Who are who are some of your favorite characters? What were some of your favorite performances? Uh, and dig into that a little bit more. Yeah, Anya Taylor Joy was fantastic. She absolutely. She was like this is she's been in stuff before, but this I would say is like the breakout for her because she's like completely in command of the show as the lead. There's not a moment where I'm, like, confused as to who I should be rooting for and who, like, the focal point of the show is, despite there being a lot of ancillary characters, because you never lose her. And I think a lot of the reason for that is another aesthetic choice in that her hair is bright red. It sticks out of every single scene, and not in a bad way in the, look, there's the beacon that we should be following throughout this scene. Um, but I think her performance was great and very nuanced. Um, and I really, and you know, I'll let you take the next one, but yeah, I think she, to me, was the MVP because as the lead, she had a lot of work to do, and she did it very, very well. Yeah, I completely agree that she is the top MVP. You know, the show doesn't work if you have a less compelling person playing Beth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that Anya Taylor-Joy is sort of a rising star. She was in the um, M. Night Shyamalan movies with, um, like, The Glass and Split. Mm-hmm. I think she was in both of those. Um, she made she had good notices for the movie Emma that was one of the last theatrical releases of the year before COVID hit uh, and then was one of the first video-on-demand streamers. Mm-hmm. Um, she's so she's blinders. sort of been a... <laughs> She was in Peaky Blinders, which I haven't seen, mm-hmm. um, but uh, she is uh, really, really great in this. Uh, she is the she is the whole series. It is about her. I don't know if there are very many scenes even that don't include her in them. I think that she is in almost every single scene of the series mm-hmm. uh, because the show is so centered around her, and she is completely believable in that like her character is sort of aloof and sort of guarded and very much. Um, you know, not emotional, not really willing to open up to people. That's a that restraint is really hard to play. It's really hard to to show somebody being cold and still want to engage with them and understand who they are. But she does a really good job of making her character both seem distant and inviting. Mm-hmm. There's something that you want to learn more about her, but there are there is this veneer that is that she is hiding behind. And the show is really willing to – the show is written to, like, really dig into that. But you need an actress who can carry that sort of role. And I think she does a great job. It's a really difficult part. It's really complicated. I would say that even all of the aspects of her of her character are, are – can be disjointed at times, mm-hmm. I would say. Like, one of the things that 
I wanted to get into was sort of the episode that is just about her addiction, specifically to alcohol, mm-hmm. which is really difficult to watch and re- which sort of follows a track that her character has an addictive personality, both to the tranquilizers early in her life and to playing chess in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the parts of the script that feel maybe a little bit weaker are a little bit more susceptible to poking at and finding holes in. Anya Taylor-Joy's performance is just so powerful and so focused that you can almost skip over those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that aspect of that aspect of addiction is kind of like what you have to have to be the best player in the world with this sport. Yeah. Like you have to study so much that like you have to almost be addicted to it. You have to dedicate your life to it in a way that you don't in a lot of other sports. Like because it's a board game, I think there's more analogies there to other games, but it is you know, one of the most complex games that exists. I think in terms of like complexity, there's a few games that are uh, above it in terms of like degrees of complexity. I think Go is something that um, played mostly in East Asia. I think that one is like above chess. But other than that, there's not too many games that are as accessible and as worldwide and world renowned as chess that require this deep level of knowledge. And the addiction is something that it's very like informed by what has happened to her character it's not something that's an accident or like this is just a character trait that she has an addictive personality it's like we see it develop and why it develops and it's heartbreaking like she has a really sad story growing up she has a really really hard time adjusting to the adult world she loses two mothers not just one two in horrible ways horrible ways one to alcoholism and one to a car crash. Like, are you kidding? Like, an intentional car crash. Are you kidding me? Like, this this kid has to deal with all this stuff, and it's not surprising that she starts her early life as more of an introvert. It's not surprising that she um, experiences this awakening when taking the tranquilizers for the first time after she learns how to play chess, and then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, I want to stay in this world. So... It it does take until Benny Watts later for her to learn how to play without that kind of crutch. Yeah, and I, I think you're exactly right. I think that the – and it's part of what makes the story so compelling. It has a great – you know, this is why a lot of the great movies, TV series – uh, musicals, plays, they're based on books. When there's great source material, you have so much to work on. And while I haven't read the Walter Teva- Tevis novel, mm-hmm. um, it clearly has this 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 fount of information and, and of compelling storylines to make this work. Um, and so I really thought that um, the story, her story is compelling. And maybe it was, rather it was the portrayal of those things that I found to be perhaps a little underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in sort of one of the things that I wanted to talk about was there was a lot of discussion in a lot of the reviews that I was reading about the Queen's Gambit. Uh, and we will come back to performances later. I promise there's a lot of other ones we want to highlight. Um, but, um, one of the things that, uh, was discussed often was that, uh, Scott Frank, who created this series, uh, initially went to, initially worked with Netflix on Godless, which he had written as a film screenplay. Uh, nobody wanted it as a film screenplay, so he instead sort of stretched it out into a miniseries, 
And I believe that this was also uh, the Queen's Gambit for a long time was supposed to be a film. I believe Heath Ledger, before he passed away, was actually attached to direct a version of this. Um, but instead, it has sort of been stretched out into this seven part miniseries. So um, and some of the reviewers thought that it was a little padded and a little bit long, that it could have made either that it was it either could have been longer and more drawn out or it could have been shorter and more of a movie format or something more like Unorthodox, which was only four episodes uh, of a miniseries. Mm-hmm. So I just sort of want to get your opinion. Did you feel like this was sort of the right length for this story? Did the miniseries sort of fulfill the seven episodes fulfill the right amount of time for this story, do you think? Or could it have been longer or should it have been longer? I think it really depends on who you ask. I think if you ask... Well, that's why I'm asking I think you. It, <laughs> if you're asking me as someone who likes the game of chess and grew up playing it, I would have loved for it to be longer so I could see more games. I would have loved okay. to maybe not see more games. Like, you could still have the same exact sequence of them, but flesh them out more and zoom in on the board more. If you have these amazing consultants helping you with it, then you could really go into the nitty-gritty of these games and, like, really give something for people to chew on as you watch. However, for the the casual observer, uh, I think it almost went into too much detail. I think it almost went into too much detail in specific games and not enough detail in others. Um, In terms of padding, like, yeah, we probably could have cut out, like, at least one of the lover sagas easily. Like, there didn't need to be all these interactions. but I think it didn't detract from the show because the performances were so good. I just wanted to get us back to performances anyway. Yeah, that's fine. I I, I agree that sort of the 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 intera- the romantic interaction in Paris, which I think is like interesting for the character, and I don't necessarily want to like discount because I think it is an important facet of the character. Mm-hmm. But I its relevance to sort of the plot writ large feels a little contrived to me in a way that a lot of the other romantic uh, escapades do not. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just, just, just because like we see that woman who she, who uh, Beth interacts Cleo. with. So Cleo, she's just such a small part of the show, but she has an enormous impact on Beth's character based on the results of what happens after their interaction mm-hmm. that like, it feels almost like a cheaper interaction there um, than some of her longer term relationships with Benny or with Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's sort of one of the, the things that I was talking about is that feels more like padding than anything relevant. Uh, and just to sort of throw my two cents in before we get back to the performances, because I do really want to highlight mm-hmm. them. But um I just I think that it was actually sort of the perfect length. They could have maybe done with one more episode. Uh, again, sort of to your point, like find like hearing a little bit more about the specifics of why certain moves were made and how the how the chess game maybe one of one or two of the really important chess games like what the strategy behind it was rather than seeing her know the strategy actually understanding the strategy along with her mm-hmm. and why she was making moves and why she played a game a certain way there's a couple of times where she goes into explanations on that but it's it's more from her perspective of like oh I didn't do this rather than like here's why I did this xyz mm-hmm. um so uh, I would have maybe liked one more episode just to like get a little bit more of that nitty gritty. But uh, otherwise, I think it's really sort of well done. Um, all right. So there are a lot of supporting characters in The Queen's Gambit. I would say that everybody other than Beth is sort of a supporting character. Um, what were some of the performances that stuck out there to you? Dudley, man. Harry Melling, uh, who was famously Dudley in the Harry Potter movies. 
he was Harry Beltic in this show, and he was great. He, like, really... It was amazing the transition he had from, oh, I'm going to teach this girl how to play chess to, oh my god, she's going to destroy me every time she plays me from here on out. And he, she just kind of alphaed him, which was, like, weird to see from Dudley, but, uh, you know, it was it was... I think he did a very, very good job, especially in the last episode, where you can just see how much he cares for her. And that's something that she lost along the way somewhere. That's something that she um, didn't experience that much of throughout the series from the people close to her. And I think that was really, like, eye-opening. I think that's something that um, it really made you consider the human element of, like, her addiction and her... Not to just drugs, but to chess. Like it, he he made you feel like I will never be good enough for this person because I'm not smart enough. And I think he played that really, really well. Yeah, I he was my favorite of all of the supporting cast. Uh, I think that he gives such a nuanced, sort of loving performance where he is so devoted to her and he admires her and sort of he can connect with her on a human level, but also sort of puts her up on a pedestal. And to see all of those emotions sort of, like, go across his face, both, like, when they are working and living together, when they are, you know, when he is trying to teach her, when uh, he sees her sort of in the deepest throes of her addiction, you can just see the deep level of care that he has for her and how much he wants to be a part of her life but feels like he is almost lesser to a point where he can't be and that she is shutting him out. And it's such a touching, strong performance um, from Harry Melling, who I actually forgot was Dudley because I haven't seen the Harry Potter movies in a while. <laughs> um, but uh, I was really sort of impressed with how uh, down-to-earth and level-headed his performance was. And also just, like, when the final result happens, like, his reaction is absolutely priceless. Yeah. <laughs> it is, like, one of the most heartwarming things I've seen in a long she time. Won. <laughs> it's it's pretty it's it's a pretty excellent moment of celebration from Harry Melling yeah. and I think it's well deserved and every time that he was on screen I was like more and more endeared to him so Harry Melling my supporting uh, MVP I do also want to shout out to Bill Camp who played Mr. Scheibel mm -hmm. um, he also gives sort of like this gruff performance but you can tell he's really loving and there's sort of a reveal at the end of, um, you know, his role in Beth's career. And uh, I think it's just this really beautiful moment of uh, it's almost like a, he's a, almost a father figure who is, is just ends up being a little bit less than that, given the circumstances. But um, it's a really touching performance from him as well um, as as she as he teaches her how to play chess. And Bill Camp is sort of one of the great stage and character actors that we have he was nominated for an emmy for the night of he's sort of been in and around everything he's in the movie dark water as a really different character as like a farmer whose cows and pigs are being uh poisoned by bad water mm -hmm. um and so uh bill camp and then marielle heller as well who plays um uh beth's mother uh alma who uh marielle heller is actually a, a quite accomplished director who directed the films Can You Ever Forgive Me and uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which was the Mr. Rogers movie that just came out last year. So a very talented director and here gives a great performance as well. Mm -hmm. I, that scene at the end was beautiful. Like they really yeah. did a good job capturing why she would be so emotional about seeing what she saw. Um, yeah. And I don't want to like, you know, we, we spoiler heavy, but I don't want to like give that away because it's just such a nice moment. Um, Same. 
but even before that, like at the very end of episode six, when uh, Jolene shows back up in the show, it's such a like, you know, yeah. immediately who it is. And it's such a welcome inclusion to have her back. It, it's it really means a lot that these characters keep coming back for Beth. And she really understands that the the concept of playing as a team doesn't have to be just analyzing chess games. It could just be keeping her even keeled. And like, yeah, they help her Having analyze games, network. but yeah. It's not to the extent that the Russians do where they're just standing in a room watching a board. It's like, we are here for you. What can we do to help? Yeah, it's really it's really uh, it's great to see that sort of develop over the show and see that she, you know, I think Jolene at one point says, like, it's we're family. It's not like this is, you know, this is expected. Like, this is what we do for one another. This is the way that we that we support one another. And Beth just has been thrown around to so many different circumstances in her life that she doesn't necessarily realize that, mm-hmm. you know, because she has two mothers who have passed away from various circumstances. She has an adopted father who is really a piece of work, who doesn't give her anything, doesn't give her any attention, doesn't give her any support. Um, and so it all comes from these people that she's met throughout her life, which the show does a really good job of setting up. It like places these people sort of in not in Beth's way, but in her path to sort of push her forward and guide her along. And it it makes a, the show does a really good job of like putting those people as seeming like they could be just one off characters. And then they keep showing up and they keep coming back and they keep being a part of her life, which just makes it more interesting for us to watch them grow along with Beth uh, as the series goes along, which I really appreciated the, the deep level of character development that went into not just Beth, but into all of these people who surrounded her as well. I, I think if it was a movie, they would have been one-off characters, and then, like, she would have had some sort of vision of them at that last moment that, like, look, we're helping you along instead of, look, we're expressly calling you and, like, helping you during this tournament. Um, I, I think that was more likely to happen... If it was a movie, but because it was a miniseries, they had room to come back, and they had room to come back and kind of get second acts, each one of them. Like, the, the, you follow them over the course of several years, so a lot has changed in between the time you see each character, which I think really helps Beth, you know, visualize Beth's growth alongside them, in that she didn't really change too much as a person. Uh, they all did a lot, and they all changed her perception of uh, their perception of her as well. So I think it's an interesting contrast there, too. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, the way that the show puts the characters together works really nicely. Mm -hmm. It never feels like – it rarely feels like the characters are being shoehorned in, and certainly the main characters are never being shoehorned in. They belong in each scene in which they appear, and that's a really difficult thing to – um, to achieve. And I'll also point out uh, the performances of Jacob Fortune Lloyd as Towns, uh, who maybe makes could have made one or two more appearances given the importance of his character, um, although I sort of understand why he doesn't. And then Thomas Brody Sangster as Benny, uh, who uh, is at first one of her main opponents and then becomes one of her closest confidants and friends. Towns was weird. Like, I... He didn't need to come back. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like that didn't need to happen. <laughs> he also didn't need to be mentioned at the uh, at the bar scene. I, I don't understand why she yeah. was so hooked on him. Maybe like first love kind of thing, but I think it's like a I think it's like a first love kind of thing. It's just that the show could have put him in a couple more situations that would have made me believe it a little bit mm-hmm. more. 
Um, because like with Benny and Harry, I understood it. Like whenever they showed up and whenever they were a part of the conversation and whenever they were a part of her life, it made complete sense. Whereas Towns was there at the beginning and then not there in the middle and then there at the end. And so like it could have been, I think he could have had a more steady arc rather than sort of the rounded one that he has where he just shows up at two different points. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I believe that she might, feel that way about him but the show didn't necessarily give us that indication so it, it, that's a, again one more episode might have done the trick there. that's very fair um, by the way like I, I think yeah. that point is like very very strong in that like you can see why she says it but we don't know as the audience right like we know that she has carried this it's a crush but it's maybe a little bit more than that for a really really long time and it just has never it, – it just isn't given to us enough. Like they try to sprinkle it in but it, because of the relationship she has with Harry and, and Benny. But it could have been a little bit more, more prominent I think. Mm. Um, so we've done a lot of talking about The Queen's Gambit. Uh, we both really like this show. Do you have any sort of final points that you would like to make about The Queen's Gambit? Everyone watch this show. It's awesome. It's like – it's good because it's dramatic without being violent. It's dramatic without needing to rely on the human experience too, too much. Like, it definitely does because that's who the character is, but you could even take that dimension out of her and it would be just as interesting, in my opinion. So I I loved it. It was a great show. It was timed well, and it's a great show to watch with the family, too. Yeah, I agree. It's it has a lot of really impressive uh it, it's really impressively made. It's really interesting to watch. The performances are all really smart and really layered. The characters are deep and interesting. The chess is really well portrayed. Um it's just for me, it's I one of my favorite things I've watched all year. Probably I mean, it's it's probably the best mini series of the year cuz I'll put Watchmen for last year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just uh, <laughs> It was just a joy to be a part of for seven episodes. Like there was never a point where I was bored. I was always engaged. I always wanted to know what happened next. And it and it sort of ended on a note that felt realistic uh, and felt uh, akin to what the series was going for. And I think that that's really, really hard to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So Queen's Gambit, two thumbs up from the both of us. Uh, please go watch it. It's on Netflix. Uh, all of the episodes are available uh, in typical Netflix style. So – Yes, please watch The Queen's Gambit. We both highly recommend. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about next uh, on uh, Trivial Matters, but we will be back again next Saturday with a new episode. Everyone, please enjoy your Thanksgiving. Please be safe. Uh, I want to give a quick shout-out before we end to my buddy John Wary, who texted me that he is a fan of Trivial Matters. And, John, we are thrilled that you are listening in to Trivial Matters, along with all of the other listeners who we don't know, but we're excited to get to know as we continue on this path of watching TV and movies and talking about it. Uh, So for Dan Roselle, I'm Zach Marlin. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. 